Hyperno Goethe, German-Irish Conversations. Join me, St. Pauli fan and former Dusseldorfer Kieran Murray, in conversation with my guests as we explore the connecting moments of German and Irish life. We delve into the many aspects of arts, language and life across cultures. What do musicians, dancers, artists and writers pick up from both cultures? And how are they inspired and enriched by the other? Hyperno Goethe. German-Irish Conversations is for all listeners who like to go and think beyond borders. This podcast is supported by the Goethe Institute Dublin. Hello, Falter Road and Willkommen. This time my guest is John Scott, Artistic Director of the Irish Modern Dance Theatre, Opera Singer and all-around Germanophile. You're very welcome, John. Nice to have you here. Danke, thank you. Uh, yeah, so firstly, I suppose, let me ask you about German culture. How is it that you're a Germanophile? Well, I um, I grew up, uh, my parents had a great appreciation of the arts. Um, my father was a lighting designer in the Abbey Theatre. My mother had been a singer, um, but in the days when they got married, uh, she got married and that was kind of the end of that. She became a full-time mother uh, to my brother and myself. But um, I used to go to the Abbey Theatre. I used to be brought in to see all the plays from a very, very young age. And um, I think the first time I properly saw something German, I was very, very, very young. And uh, there was a production of Brecht's Galileo in the Abbey Theatre, directed by Thomas Makana. And... Um, I remember seeing Galileo and the telescope. I, I was very small. Um, my mother didn't trust babysitters, so we were dragged into anything. And um, I may or may not have understood really what was going on, but that was the first time I, I saw something that was German. When I was 12 years old, um, the Abbey had an international season every summer when the when the, the repertory company took their holidays and um, they brought a German dance company called Tanzform Köln. It was this extraordinary contemporary company in Germany um, that was founded in the 70s by three choreographers and they specialized, they had very highly trained dancers who were both classical and contemporary and one of their centerpieces of their work at that time was a piece by Kurt Jus called The Green Table. It was a famous expressionist anti-war ballet that was made, I think, during the 30s. That blew my mind much more than theater did. It, it gave me something that was very visceral, and I really became interested in dance. Um, I was 12, but um, in the 70s, a uh, 12-year-old didn't kind of inquire about studying dance. It was um, it was verboten, you know. Your introduction to German culture was uh, Brecht and the, the Green Table, something out of kind of Weimar Germany in the yes. 1920s world. But uh, yeah, so then um, when it comes to dance, you, you didn't exactly feel that there was a dance company for boys that was set up uh, that was easy to join. So how did you then when you took an interest in dance, how did you? How does how does one become a dancer in the Ireland of the nineteen seventies? Well, um, I was still in school. I did my leaving certificate. I went to UCD. I became involved in the drama society there, and I had a summer job with the Dublin Theatre Festival. And I worked as an assistant to. Brendan Smith and Michael Colgan, an administrative assistant. And if there was a German company or German artist, 
So that's when I first met the Goethe Institute in my capacity in the Dublin Theatre Festival. Also, when I was in UCD in Dramsock in the 70s, there was a type of Bauhaus arts festival and there was a big exhibition in the Douglas Hyde Gallery. But when you say Bauhaus, you mean the architecture? The, the it was the architecture and also the um, the art. Um, the triadic ballet was reconstructed um, by um, by what became Dublin City Ballet, and um, the costumes were built by people from the NCAD. And so it it was very exciting to see this reconstruction of Oscar Schlemmer. And there was this quite splendid exhibition in uh, the Douglas Hyde Gallery. This was, I think, 1979. And uh, that was very influential on me. I was evolving as a kind of a theatre artist, and I had an interest in the avant-garde theatre. I had seen a company called The Living Theatre. And with The Living Theatre, one of the pieces in their repertoire was a version of Antigone, that was rewritten by Brecht um, based on a translation from the Greek by the German poet Holderlin. And then she translated Holderlin's translation of Sophocles' Antigone from ancient Greek to German to a poetic English. They were a company, they were associated with Allen Ginsberg and with that whole... 60s generation in in New York and with John Cage with all the the radical theater dance people and of the time. Do you feel part of that radical theater that radical space? I didn't at that time feel uh-huh. part of it but I aspired towards it. Um the theater in Ireland at that time was quite conservative um and it was um plays, text, it was spoken and I liked theater. I loved theatre, but it was dance that really, really inspired me. But I still, my first dance class I took at the age of 19. Um, A teacher came out to UCD and taught the Drama Society there. And I thought, this is interesting, but surely I'm too old to be a dancer. And when I graduated from college, I, um, I went to... France and Italy to make contact with this company, The Living Theatre. They were touring around France. They didn't really audition. It was very much um, you had to be in the orbit of the company and then you would kind of fall in. But um, I spent time with them and I was, I came home and was saving up money to go back. And at that time, Dublin City Ballet um, had been established a couple of years earlier, and I used to work for Dublin City Ballet operating the follow spot. I was an extra in their production of Giselle by Sir Anton Dolan and John Gilpin, and then um, um, they were opening a school, and they were looking for men, and I was 21. I looked younger. I was um, skinny. And just on the eve of my 22nd birthday, um, I became apprentice to Dublin City Ballet, um, their ballet master at the time said that with intense application and being in there the whole time, that within months I could make great differences. It would take a couple of years to kind of do it, but I had the potential and I was um, I was delighted by this, but it was a big shock to the body, the, the rigors. Um, Tell me uh, th- th- that part about the the physical rigors of being a dancer, mm-hmm. the the amount of training and dedication involved. Mm. Um, that was a shock to your body. Then, 
did you stay with it? Is it something that you've always felt that you need to be in shape? Um, well, I did what one had to do. Um, the ballet master was uh, an extraordinary dancer and he had had a very hard training. So we had a hard... It was an apprenticeship rather than a training. You learned by watching. You would get some teachers who would pull you aside and give you corrections. Um, but I stayed there from 1982 till 1985... When I was 25, I thought, I am not going to become the next Rudolf Nureyev or Mikhail Baryshnikov. I have acquired a lot of skills, and it is in my body, and it's part of who I am, um, because it's a whole way of learning. Um, the choreographer, Martha Graham, the American choreographer, said it takes 10 years to make a dancer, really. It does, because it goes into you in a way that the things become automatic, and your body responds it's how you learn to respond to space how you how you your body is your instrument it's your tool and uh i got a scholarship to go and study in this academy in ramscheid in the ruhrgebiet and um it was a dance course a contemporary dance course for two weeks and um i took this course and it was very near wuppertal so we went to see um pina bausch um, in the nearby Wuppertal. It was only about 40 minutes in a bus, and we saw uh, Tanztheater Wuppertal, um, 1982. It was very exciting. And I traveled a lot because what I was getting from the ballet company, it was classical ballet, it was technique, but the inspiration, the things that were really, the things that I had seen, like the Living Theatre, those things were still not available to me in Ireland. And when it comes to dance, um, what about, is it a different art form in Germany than it is here? Is it taken more seriously? Are the audiences more appreciative or how does that work? Well, 1982 was my first time to visit Germany and... Um, it was, um, I was in Ramscheid, so Köln was the nearest big town. And um, I went into Köln sometimes weekends. And um, I was amazed by the importance that culture is given in Germany. Um, the towns from Köln, the, the way they were funded and the, the structure they had and the spaces they had... Uh, Nothing like that existed in Ireland. The theatres were too small. Yet um, there was a whole kind of exodus of uh, writers and directors and actors from Germany in the 1930s, but I think they went to Sunset Boulevard and set up the German colony. I don't think they really came here much, did they? Nobody. I think, um, um, I think Wittgenstein came oh, right, and spent yeah. some time and everybody else went went to the States, I yeah. think. That didn't was, Wittgenstein write, wasn't he, didn't, wasn't he writing in Botanic Gardens? He used to go to, to write his work. Yes, I and think. I remember hearing, I think, didn't he stay in the Ashling Hotel near Houston Station as well? Um, yeah. And he used to eat in Bewley's, I think. Um, I don't know what a scrambled egg on toast. Um, so he was before my time, but... I was impressed by um, there were these wonderful bookshops with dance books, theatre books. Um, it was a time when um, 
Peter Stein was running the Schaubühne in Berlin and these extraordinary theatre productions. You had Pina Bausch, um, there was Reinhold Hoffmann in Bremen, um, uh, Susanna Linke. There were very important choreographers coming up. Um, there was the great John Cranko who'd founded Stuttgart Ballet. And then William Forsythe, the American choreographer, um, eventually took over Frankfurt Ballet and um, and made a whole new style of, of dance and a reinvention of classical ballet uh, combined with avant-garde theatre. So Germany facilitated um, a lot of extraordinary work in dance. Uh, Do you think that um, when, the, when the wall came down and after reunification, did that make much difference? Because obviously uh, in the East, ballet was uh, um, and classical music were taken very seriously and they frowned upon... Western popular culture. So do you think, was there even more after the reunification? Well, I think everybody got into financial trouble because there was less money. But um, yeah, there are some important artists who came from the East. And um, one of the amazing things that happened um, near Dresden, there's this amazing building, the Festspielhaus in Hellerau. And um, I think it was built in 1911. I think it was designed was it designed by Walter Gropius? But it is this extraordinary futuristic building uh, with um, these extraordinary facilities and this concept of space. Rather than being built as a classical theater, you have these vast spaces, and Laban was associated with it. Nijinsky came to visit it. Um, and during the Cold War, it was used by the Russian army as a military barracks and um, and it was they left when they left it was in this mess it was like filthy and run down and this extraordinary restoration took place and it is this incredible cultural centre now and um, we've talked quite a bit about dance but of course uh, you're also a singer and uh, people may or may not be familiar with uh, Heldon uh, with the Wagner uh, Helden tenor. So uh, tell us what a, what a Helden tenor is. Well, I always knew I had a singing voice, and um, in my it was after I'd started to study dance um, that I decided I'm going to do something about my voice, and I went to the then College of Music and knocked on Veronica Dunn's door, and she got me to sing some scales. I ended up going to the College of Music and then later studying with the great Veronica Dunn and they discovered I had this very big operatic voice and she sent me to a summer school in Munich um, in the Bavarian Staatsoper the Bayerische Staatsoper um, and they had these um, famous Wagnerian singers, they were all in their 70s and they were all coaching Astrid Varney the American um, Heldentenor James King and I studied with James King there um, and I became aware of Wagner. Wagner was um, someone, a lot of singing teachers, when you're a young singer, they tell you to avoid Wagner because it's so big, you can push your voice into the wrong ways. And and then later I studied with a, an Australian teacher called Janice Chapman in London. And after a couple of lessons with Janice, she took out a Wagner score. Um, she took out... Um, Die Valkyrie, and she said, you are actually a Heldentenor, and it's a 
darker type of voice. It almost sounds like a baritone. It's a dark color, and it's got this type of um, darkness and this metallic sound. It cuts through an orchestra. They Wagner has these huge orchestras. So she diagnosed me as a heldentenor, and then... Um, I was trying to tease out a little bit about your personality when it comes to the Helden tenor. Is it something when you say dark? Is it something that gets into your psyche? Is it kind of an emotional thing when people think of these the, the Götterdämmerung, the Twilight of the Gods and these big Wagnerian things? So did you naturally have a, a darkness uh, in it's, you that uh, could relate well, to that? Rather or? than darkness as in menacing, yeah. that menacing can be part of it, but it's a depth and it comes from a very deep, passionate place. Beethoven... Um, Karl Maria von Weber um, and Wagner they, um, that's the type of repertory that the Heldentenor is suited for and it's, it makes a lot of sound and it, it's, um, it's a dark sound some people just hate Wagner they don't want to listen they, for various reasons be they political or stylistic um, but when I started to listen to Wagner and to learn Wagner, I fell in love with it. There is a, a depth and, uh, and a passion. Um, a lot of the characters, uh, I actually, I made a dance piece uh, called Heroes where I embrace my choreographic self and my singing self in the same, in the same body, in the same performance. Because... Um, Floristan in in Fidelio, he's been in a dungeon for years in the darkness, and the first thing he sings is a cry. He goes, "Gott, welch dunkel hier!" And so, and would you have a piece that you might read for that? The aria from Fidelio, sung by Floristan, the the hero in Fidelio, it's very dark. A lot of the Heldentenors, they come in these dark, passionate places. Floristan has been in a dungeon for years, and the people upstairs are plotting to execute him. He's a political prisoner. And the first thing he sings, it's... It's... Gott, welch dunkel hier. Oh God, what darkness here. Oh grauen, volle Stille. Oh somber... Grey silence. Öd ist es um mich her, nichts lebet außer mir. O schwere Prüfung, o heavy trial. Um, doch gerecht ist Gottes Wille. Ich murre nicht, das Maß der Leiden steht bei dir. In des Lebens Frühlingstagen ist das Glück von mir geflohen. Wahrheit wagt ich kühn zu sagen, und die Ketten sind mein Lohn. Ketten ist Chains, und uh, willig duld ich alle Schmerzen, Ende schmählich meiner Bahn. Süße Trost in meinem Herzen. Meine Pflicht habe ich getan. I've done my duty. That's beautiful. Uh, John, um, sometimes people think that uh, French is a beautiful language or Italian or something, and, and German doesn't get such a good deal, but the way you read that 
there you can really feel uh, um, the language. Is that something that appealed to you about the German language? Yes, I think that there is a great spirituality. I remember going to German plays and going to the Schaubühne in Berlin before I had studied German, and you'll get these snatches of the words, and um, and you would understand some of them. They would hit you, or when you went to see Shakespeare and you, you heard the Shakespeare, and you could recognize some of the famous Shakespeare, but translated auf Deutsch. And there's a beauty about it. There's there's something about the words um, that's very um, like a word like stille. It's it it has the feeling. It it has a feeling and a depth. And I think as an Anglophone, um, it's easier to get an appreciation of German. The when you can learn some of the words, you can actually enter into the the poetry or the text. I've heard people say that they prefer uh, Silent Night um, sung in German because you get that Stille Nacht and you get that lovely sound. Yes. Um, May even be originally German. I think Uh, it is. And, um, well, all our Christmas traditions, the Christmas tree, all of these things are German influenced. And I found when I went to Germany, um, what was wonderful was how open and generous people were when you try to speak German, um, they would help you. And I remember going to Frankfurt to see some dance and going into one of these, they call them Apfelwei taverns, and they're these huge, like, beer halls, and every you're sharing a table with, you just squeeze in beside whoever the strangers are, and they start talking to you. And uh, if you can say, Guten Tag, uh, they will give you maybe, if you speak two words, they will give you 200 back. And if you can say, my name is John, ich bin Irish, they will give you paragraphs and paragraphs, whether you can, and so you're nodding and you kind of get a couple of words. But there was this great desire, even if they knew how dire your German was, there was this great desire, they would hang in and try and help you and throw the occasional word at you to 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 steer you along. And um, w- would you be a fan of German food, which also uh, doesn't often get uh, a great reputation? Yes, um, German food is different to French food. France, Italy, you know, how can you argue with pasta and pizza or, or with, you know, wonderful French cuisine? But... Um, I love the food in Germany. It's great hearty food. Uh, when I go there, I love to go to one of those restaurants, one of those old beer kellers, and have maybe a schnitzel or, you know, uh, some of the sausages or, or these kind of things. It's good hearty food and um, with the beer and some great German wine. Um, of course, German wine is a bit forgotten too, isn't it? And uh, in in parts of Germany, they take their wine very seriously indeed. Yes, well, I um, I went to Freiburg im Breisgau um, in the Schwarzwald in the Black Forest to study German for two months. And it was an intensive course, Monday to Friday, with brilliant teaching methods. Like they had you talking with your neighbours. And the great advantage of this course was you maybe had some Anglophones in the class, but if you study German in Ireland, everybody else is going to speak English. So if you need to borrow a pencil, you'll turn to the, your neighbor and say, can I borrow a pencil? But you're sitting beside somebody Polish or Japanese, and the only common language we shared was German. Basic 
beginner's German, but we had to struggle to find a way to communicate in German from and, day and one. In, in Freiburg, in that part of Germany, over in the, the French-Swiss corner, uh, was it Badisch or, or was it uh, Schwäbisch? Uh, they or have Schwäbisch yeah. as well. I remember I was very proud. I was making great progress in German, and I went to a restaurant one day, and uh, the waiter said... I'll translate for you. And I said, aber ich spreche Deutsch. <laughs> and he answered back, aber das ist nicht Deutsch, es ist Schwäbisch, which is another completely yeah, yeah. different dialect. And, and that's quite a compliment to be able to, for someone to think that you've actually got the sound right, that you sound a little bit uh, uh, Schwäbisch. Yeah. Um, I think my accent, I think they mostly know I'm not German. Yeah. Um, but... Yeah. Um, People are always surprised and delighted when you can speak some German and when you make any effort. Um, and right now with the with the travel restrictions and these things, it's harder to travel. So it's harder to keep my German up. Um, and uh, but I I found that it learning German in that level and being able to spend two months um, of hours every day of of. Uh, German lessons and then you you walk out the door and you go to the supermarket and you are shopping in German you are getting the tram or the bus in German you are doing everything in German did you, did you travel across to Switzerland when you were down there and hear their version of German no I never went oh. to Switzerland um, but I moved around Germany I used to go at weekends all the way from Freiburg to Hamburg there was a theatre and dance festival and I would go Friday night and stay Saturday, Sunday, and then late Sunday take a night train back to Freiburg um, for my classes. And I could, during the festival, maybe see two to three shows a day, go to the museums. Um, so that was, that quite was very a journey, exciting. Uh, um, from Freiburg to Hamburg. That's oh, yeah. I, um, I would either sit up all night uh, with my back and neck killing me in an upright seat or I'd splurge and get a couchette and you were sharing in these little bunk beds in the train. But but the trains the trains are very exciting, aren't they? They're very um, romantic or something, quite different from Irish trains. Yes, yeah, you don't, um, you don't get, the, you you know, you go into the, the train station and you see is a sign, train to Rome, train to Paris, train to Vienna and it involves overnights and um, and you wake up in another country and there's all these interesting people and uh, I mean it takes a lot longer than jumping on a cheap flight and you know going in an hour and 20 minutes to somewhere else but there was a joy in the travel and you really feel you earned things and I remember when I went to uh, Germany for the first time to to Cologne um, I Interrailed, and I took a train, a boat train from Dublin to Holyhead to London to Dover to Calais to Paris to Cologne. And you saw the rooftops changing from French rooftops, these sort of orange roofs, to the darker roofs of Germany and different people got on and there were like French people and they were drinking Avian water and eating baguettes and then the following morning there were Germans getting on and it was raining and they were eating sausages and uh, and you knew you were in a different place. You were sitting in the same train you'd got on in Gare du Nord and then you get out in the Hauptbahnhof 
in Köln from the same train, but with different people around you and you're in another country. Do, do you have a favorite part of Germany or a favorite city? I have many favorite cities in Germany. There are different things in them all. I really adore Berlin. I adore the size of it, the amount of culture on offer, the museums, the theaters, um, the mentality of the people, the multicultural feeling. It's become like this metropolis, true metropolis, particularly since the reunification. I love Hamburg. I love the feeling of being near the sea, um, the the smell of the sea when you're in Hamburg. Also, there's wonderful cultural spaces there. I love the Schwarzwald, the Black Forest. Um, my time in Freiburg and Breisgau there was very inspiring. It's so beautiful. It had the same climate as as Italy at that time. It was in the summer and it was the uh, temperature was in the 30s every day. Maybe I should have asked the question the other way around. It sounds like you've been to most parts of Germany. Are there parts that you haven't been to yet that you feel you should you would like to get to? I've never been to the northeast coast. I've never been to the to sea Rostock. or up there. Oh, yeah. um, I've been to Hamburg and to Bremen, but I haven't been in the former east up north. I'm yeah. fascinated to go there. Um, I've been in Dresden, I've been in Leipzig, in yeah. Weimar. They're all wonderful and they're, they're very different. They're all culturally very different, very rich. I find, I find it all inspiring. And um, there's something about Germany that uh, you, you just get down to business. You do what you're going to do. And the weather may not be beautiful. Um, you can be yourself. Um, though you're in Germany, but people have a wonderful work ethic and they support you when you're working. Everybody works with you and everyone tries to do the work and be make it as simple as possible. And what about German culture, maybe that people might be more familiar with? Do you think that, um, are, are you a fan of German TV or, or films or books? Does much well, of that come across to Ireland? I think the best example of German culture that's readily available now is to watch the Netflix TV series Dark. Um, I think there's three series now, and it's set in a small German town called Winden, and it has this concept of time travel, and you get to experience Germany of the late 19th century, of the current day, of the 70s, and you get wonderful portrayals, wonderful characters of a small town. Is it kind of intrinsically German, this series? Oh, Dark is very, very German to its soul. I feel I'm in Germany when I'm watching it. And if you watch it listening to the German with the English subtitles, you'll get the best feeling, the way they express themselves. And uh, there's... Everybody from the nasty village gossip to the the tragic heroine um, and uh, good people, bad people, human people. Um, there's love, there's passion, there's tragedy. It's um, and it's almost Wagnerian. It has this kind of leading hero, this character who goes on this journey through time, and um, it's quite beautiful. So I would recommend if anyone wants to easily connect with German culture to watch Dark. But 
um, when I was in college, I would go to see the films of Fassbinder. Um, I remember also the film of the Tin Drum um, years ago uh, was great, and uh, Werner Herzog's films. Have you seen that My American Friend? No, I haven't seen that. I think that's Herzog or Fassbender. Yeah, one of those challenging, yeah, uh, German films that they, that mm. they seem to make. Um, I might come back a little bit just from because when you st- we're talking about uh, visiting Germany, that these days, of course, uh, we can't really visit, but uh, these days presents lots of challenges with the restrictions around COVID nineteen. Mm. Um, I did watch your um, your I was going to say your performance, but your uh, your. The, My company, yeah. the company's performance um, online uh, a few weeks back on a Saturday night. Yeah, um, was that difficult to put together? Was it difficult to imagine how this is for a viewer watching it on a screen rather than, as you said, sometimes kind of having a visceral uh, sense of dance? Well, working in the arts and working in dance, you are always ready for the unexpected. So. Making a work during the COVID-19 pandemic, we had in the studio um, to come in at a certain time. We worked in Dance House um, run by Dance Ireland. Um, one of the things I love making as a choreographer are duets and trios where the dancers have a lot of physical contact. They lift each other. They fall on top of each other. They... They're, they're touching each other. And as, um, as a choreographer with a sense of responsibility in this pandemic, I could not, under any circumstances, ask the dancers to touch or to do any of the things that are usual for us. Two of my dancers share a house and they would be in a pod and I could have maybe asked them to dance the old-fashioned way, but... I've developed a phobia looking at work when I um, when I'm looking at a film on TV. If I'm starting to ask myself, they're not wearing masks, they're not social distancing. Even if you're watching an old film and you see people together in yes, a in true. a yeah. pub or a restaurant or dancing together in a dance scene, and you think, no, what? No masks? So I thought I am not going to do this right now. What? the time speaks to us was about social distancing and wearing masks. It was comfortable for me to look at this and it was comfortable for other people. If people got too close, you felt danger and our COVID compliance officer would be watching just to check that everything was safe. Um, And we booked the theatre, the complex. It's this beautiful space in Smithfield. We were going to give uh, live performances for an audience of 50 and then suddenly we can't give a performance for any audience, but we have the theatre booked. The piece is beautiful in the theatre. We have the lighting, we have the costumes, we have everything. So we decided the best thing to do was to perform it for camera and the dance filmmaker, Luca Truffarelli, filmed, but he filmed in a way that it was evident he was filming a live performance. So rather than watching a dance film, it's a live performance in a space that was streamed. And... It was very difficult performing without an audience for the dancers. Um, We had um, one or two consultants with the company came masked, temperature checked, questionnaired. And uh, so that gave at least the dancers somebody other than me to project on. And they knew the camera was there. And uh, there was an intensity in the performance because I think of all the 
limitations that we have around our lives now. And uh, there was a joy. The dancers found a joy and an ecstasy in being able to dance, to use their bodies to talk. Um, they were wearing masks, and I found wearing the mask, it didn't, it blocked out maybe looking at their face, but in another way, you were looking at their backs more, at their necks, at the whole body. And the mask almost had the same effect as watching, I don't know, Chinese opera or Japanese no theater where they are masked. And you saw another, something deeper from the, from the dancers. Mm. So whether when this eventually all ends, people will want to look at dance on video anymore or look at people wearing masks is another thing. But right now... I feel we made a response to the times we're in. And I think that the response to the times we're in is important and it is dealing with what is in front of us and making the most of that challenge rather than not doing things. Um, I suppose maybe it brings us to a, toward a kind of a wrap-up, but um, when we talk about what we can't do, and you were getting, saying again you can't get to Germany, mm-hmm. have, you got, um, have you got plans of when you would be able to go to Germany again? Uh, what do you miss about that, and what would be first on your list? We were scheduled to perform in Dusseldorf at the Internationale Tanzmesse in August, and that was then... Um, cancelled as a live event um, they streamed our work online um, they used a video we had but uh, we missed very much, it's a great international meeting um, that dance people come from all over the world and they spend four days together in this wonderful um, dance house in Dusseldorf and so that was such a blow because when this all started in March, we thought maybe by August it'll have eased up. Little did we know. And uh, and it was going to be an inconvenience, but we'd managed somehow. And then it became clear that was impossible. But we are planning to come to the next Tanzmasse, which is going to be in 2022. Um, I'm making plans. Uh, dancer Jonas and Martin, who worked with the Frankfurt Ballet and the Forsyth Company and Dance Hall Ensemble, um, Jonas and myself are going to work on a project as soon as we can be in the same country. And, um, and uh, we'll have our masks and our sanitizers and everything ready. But we're planning. And as I said, we have to be flexible. So we have to maybe make a provisional plan and then be ready that it will have to be rescheduled. Um, but we are going forward because uh, there's no other way to go. We still have to work. We have to dance and we have to make the work. Maybe for me, it's the obstacles have actually inspired me and given me a lot of fight. Hmm. Um, maybe to, uh, to, to come back around again um, to the idea of, um, of a kind of uh, crossover between Irish and German culture. There are probably lots of people... Um, in Ireland, whose most familiar uh, space outside here is Spain or maybe France or or Italy and are quite familiar with uh, um, lots of the music or dance or opera or film from those places, but far, far less so uh, with uh, with the German culture. Are there there things that you would particularly recommend for people who haven't uh, tasted much German culture? What I would recommend to anyone who isn't familiar with German culture but 
thinks of Italy, Spain, France, is to maybe, if you like opera, try and go to the Bayreuth Festival and see Wagner in Wagner's home where it was all designed for, or go to any of the great cities like Berlin, Munich, the Badestadtsoper. It's incredible. Um, and see the operas there, the Berlin Philharmonie, and you can access them online as well. They've got a wonderful app and, um, and are making a lot of their concerts available. Or go to any of the big cities and go to the museums, not just for the German paintings. Um, the Sistine Madonna by Raphael is in Dresden. Um, they have so many incredible museums all over Germany. And then um, there's um, the most beautiful countryside, the Schwarzwald, the Black Forest, the Jungfrau, um, Bavaria, the beauty, and also great weather. Um, uh, Lake Constance, it's, um, it's incredible. It's, it's absolutely, it's an incredible, deep, rich country. We're probably all touched by various things. If you've ever hummed the Ode to Joy and bop, 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 you're already consuming German culture. If you think of Brecht, if you're a theater person and Brecht had such a huge influence, we're still negotiating his legacy and his inspirations and uh, you're connecting with German culture. It doesn't necessarily have to be something that's overtly German, but there are these concepts, philosophy, um, classics, all the scholarship, um, psychology. Um, it's it's a, it's it's a great, great part of Europe and it's a great part of world culture that I think we all benefit from, from engaging in more. That's fantastic, John, and it was uh, wonderful to chat to you. Thank you. Yeah, for today anyway, it's um, Slán August Banacht and uh, Auf Wiedersehen. Auf Wiedersehen, yeah, yeah.